pulpit. Have you ever noticed that the further you read through the Bible, the less there is to do? <laughs> For example, Exodus chapter 20, God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And then along with that, we know that God's people had over 600 laws that they were required to do, to live by. Well, then we read through the Bible and we get to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath the clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. Now we're down to four, just like that. Okay, then we keep reading and we get to Micah chapter 6. What doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Three. Okay, reaction. Now we keep reading. We get to Matthew chapter 22. And the lawyer asks, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say actually? Yes, what is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets were down to two. Okay, that we keep reading and we get to Romans 13. And the apostle Paul says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves one another has fulfilled the law. <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? I mean, you read through the Bible and the further you go, the less there is to do. Love is the last man standing. <laughs> I just find that, I know it's a bit humorous, but I find that interesting. The sad part is that it seems like sometimes today we're trying to reverse that. But that's another message, okay? We won't go into that right now. But love is the scarlet thread that runs rich through the whole Bible from cover to cover. From Genesis to Revelation, love is the scarlet thread that runs rich throughout and in fact, love is the heartbeat of the gospel. In order for you, men, to be a channel of love, it is absolutely essential that you are, first of all, drinking deeply from the fountain of God's unspeakable love. That has to be happening first in order for you to share godly love with those around you. Now, this message is going to have to be pretty short and sweet here, and so this is how it's going to work. Here's the outline. First, we're going to look at a demonstration. Secondly, a declaration. And thirdly, we're going to make application, okay? And in that application, there's going to be three expressions. But for the demonstration, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and let us note verses 6 through 11. And as far as the demonstration and the declaration, these will be pretty much just Scripture reading. Oh, it would be fantastic to, to dive into these passages and to expound on them, and I, I have to restrain myself not to do that uh, for sake of time. But may God bless the reading and maybe just a few comments. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. 
But God commendeth his love toward us. Notice the direction. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Do you see this demonstration, verse 8? In fact, it is the greatest demonstration of love this world has ever known. But God commendeth, or God demonstrates. I notice how that is in the active, ongoing sense, although it harkens back to that point where Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that love is an active, ongoing love. But God commendeth, he demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on our behalf. Let us now turn to 1 John chapter 4. And let us note the declaration. And I find it astounding. It is an announcement that John writes to us. And it flows out of the demonstration that we have just read about. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested, or this is how the love of God was obvious, was made known. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Once again, notice the direction. Okay, Our God is a seeking God. Love didn't start with us searching for God. No, love is really all about God seeking us. You see, behind, behind every opened ear, behind every pricked conscience, behind all of that is a loving God that is wooing us to himself. Verse 9, and this was manifest, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God sent his son into this world that we might live through him. Verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you understand what he's saying? No man has ever But if God lives in you, God is seen. <laughs> yes. No man has actually visually seen God in that way. But if God is living within your heart, he is seen in your life. 
Verse 13, yet hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. How? Because he has given us of his spirit. Now, the declaration is verse 11. It is such a compelling declaration. And here it goes. Beloved, if God, we ought. Is that not amazing? If God, we ought. If God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for our sins while we were yet sinners, then we ought to love one another. Is that saying too much? Is that asking too much? And yet how often we stiff arm and balk. The demonstration, the declaration, and now let's make application. And I'll give those as three expressions of godly love. Sacrificial service, loving leadership, and passionate purity. Sacrificial service, turn to Romans chapter 12. This is a passage that, that fits all of us, whether you're a young boy, which I'm tickled to see you young fellows here. God bless you for coming with Daddy. Or if you're a youth, same for you fellas. It takes maybe more arm twisting, but he got you here. <laughs> or whether you're old. You know, this passage works for all of us. There are things in here that apply to all of our lives. Romans chapter 12, and I'll just simply start with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brothers, we could say for today especially, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, he says that giving your lives to God as a living sacrifice, he actually says presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says that's the only reasonable response. To what? The only reasonable response to what? Well, it's to the unspeakable gift of salvation that God has offered to whosoever believeth in Him. You see, that's different from what it was at one point. But the Apostle Paul, in the last part of the chapter 11, and in fact in the chapters prior, he is writing about the tremendous mercy of God and that how He has now extended salvation to all of mankind. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for God's chosen people, but it's for all of mankind, whosoever believes in Him. And it's as if the Apostle Paul is just completely overwhelmed with this as he then pens uh, you know, verses 33 through 36. And then from that he moves into what we know is chapter 12, and he says, I urge you, brothers, I beg you, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Because of the awesome mercy and grace of God and that he offers salvation to everyone who accepts him by faith, Paul urges us now to respond personally with a life of surrender, a life of sacrifice, and a life of service. Well, how do we do that? What does that look like? And I find this fascinating, but why should it be so surprising? But Paul then goes on to describe this sacrificial service to God by showing us how we should relate to each other. 
That's how we serve God sacrificially. That is the hands and feet of it right there. How we relate to one another, how we relate to our church brotherhood, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the needy Christians that we know of around the world perhaps, to the less fortunate, even to our enemies. You see, dear people, God's godly love is not just a concept. It's not just something that we think about. That's not how God demonstrated his love towards us, did he? He didn't just stand up there in heaven and say, I love you. You hear me? No, he sent his, he did something. He gave up what was most dear to him. That's how he expressed it. And so I say, godly love has hands and feet and eyes and ears and it has a wallet. <laughs> godly love has a wallet. <laughs> now let's read verses 9 through 21. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. That speaks of relating to people within the household of God and those that are without. Study it. Look at the Greek. You'll figure it out. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Or in other words, be willing to associate with people of lower position. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Sacrificial service. I say it's not just a concept. But godly love has hands and feet and eyes and ears. It's aware of the needs around it, and it moves, it acts. Sacrificial service. Let's move on to the second expression of godly love, and that is loving leadership. Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to there, please. Ephesians chapter 5. And this is specifically for those of us who are married Okay, it will make most sense to those of us who are married. However, younger fellas, youth fellas, please listen up. Please listen up. If God wills, one day that will be you. You would do well to start reading this and meditating on this as it may apply to you one day. And God will bless you for that. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Husbands, we are called to love our wives with Christ-like love. What is that? That is selfless love. In fact, notice verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God or imitators. And that verse flows out of 432. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as what? As God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then he says, imitate that. You are to be an imitator of that kind of love. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. And what? He hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And so we are to be, to our wives, an image of Christ in that of selfless love. We are to relate to our wives even as Christ relates to his bride, the church. And we have those words, even as, three times in the text that I read. Even as, Paul is writing about Christ and the church, but the picture is the physical marriage, the human marriage, even as. That's the model. Christ in the church is the model for us. Now, when Paul writes, for the husband is the head of the wife, he is not implying a position of power, heavy-handed authority, dictatorship, command. Neither is he implying that the husband is the only one with the brains. <laughs> okay, He is not implying that the husband is heady. No. In fact, he is giving an example. He is saying that the husband is to be a Christ-like example of loving by living. That flows out of the context of the passage. Loving by living. Christ gave himself for us. Christ showed us how to love. The husband is to take the initiative. He is to set the example by modeling selfless love in the everydays of life. The loving leader is to lead in a way that fosters a response of trust and commitment. His leadership should, should encourage the wife to want to love Christ more, to grow in her walk with him. I want us to note here the expressions of a loving leader. First is sacrifice. Verse 25, a loving leader will sacrifice. That literally means to give yourself up. And I ask you, what are you giving up, husbands? What are you giving up for the good of your wife? Are you willing to part with your bucket list for the good of your wife? 
Are you willing to give up that thing you always wanted to do for the good of your wife? Sacrifice. Secondly, a loving leader will sanctify and cleanse his wife. What do I mean by that? Verse 26. He will sanctify and cleanse. God has called us, brothers, to be the spiritual leader in our homes. To lead out in matters of family devotions. To lead out in matters of prayer. Not just as a family, but prayer time with our wife. That is such a beautiful, special time. To lead out in areas of singing together as a family. We are to be the leader in spiritual matters. And our leadership should create an atmosphere that encourages our wives to flourish spiritually, that enables them to develop a a rich and meaningful relationship with the Heavenly Father. A loving leader will also present his bride perfect. What kind of a bride do you want? How do you enjoy your wife? Just any old way? No, we like it perfect. We like her beautiful. A loving leader wants to present his bride perfect. Verse 27. You see, at the heart of every loving husband is the desire to see his wife be the most complete, the most whole, the most beautiful woman she can be. And he realizes that he plays a huge role in that. Whether he says it or not, This is what he thinks. Honey, I want to offer you a marriage experience that no other man could ever match. That's what I want for you, honey. A loving leader will also nourish and cherish his wife, his bride. Verse 29, and I ask you a few questions here. Is your wife experiencing life through your leadership? Is she being fed? Is she being cared for? Is she healthy? Is she whole spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, and even sexually? Is she experiencing wholeness as your bride? Are you treating your wife with tenderness, with gentleness, with respect? Does she know that you are so fond of her How? How does she know? Well, I told her when we got married I loved her. I gave her flowers a year ago. (laughs) She hadn't ate all the chocolates yet. How does she know that you are so fond of her? A loving leader treats his bride as he treats himself, or as he wants to be treated, verses 28 and 33. Are you experiencing the marriage of your dreams? <laughs> Is that a personal question or what? Are you, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Are you experiencing the marriage of your dreams? Did you know that it's possible? It's possible. You see, the way we relate to our wife directly affects the way that she relates to us. And if you're unhappy of what you're getting out of your marriage, then, dear brother, the first thing you need to do and the first thing I need to do is take an honest look at myself. Take an honest look at myself. What am I doing that she doesn't like? What is going on? What kind of a bull am I being? 
What is happening? You see, God designed it that men initiate and lead and that women respond and follow. That's, that's how God designed it to work. Don't let Hollywood tell you anything other than that, okay? Because they want to. So when you treat your wife selfishly, when you treat your wife roughly, you're simply hurting yourself. Why? Well, look at what the scripture says, verse 30. We are members of his flesh and of his bones, of his body. We are one. Remember, we're talking about even as. And also the scripture says, they too shall be one flesh. We are one. So consider the impact that has on your marriage. Consider that. A loving leader treats his bride as he treats himself or as he wants to be treated. Loving leadership, I say it's an expression of godly love. Lastly then, the third expression of godly love that we'll note this afternoon is passionate purity. And I invite you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Passionate purity. And as you're turning there, I ask you, when it comes to sexual purity, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Verses 3 through 8 of chapter 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who also hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now, the fight for sexual purity is one of the greatest battles that most men will ever face. Even godly men. Even preachers. Even preachers. You see, my business at the bakery there is right next door to the biggest and best gym in Halifax County, Virginia. It's a big one. It's called the Fit Club. I call it Spandex Grand Central Station. You know what I mean. And you think that I'm above lust? You think that I never struggle with that? Well, think again. Sure I do. And I praise God for his grace and for his mercy and for his strength to live above sin. But it's obvious by this passage that, that the men at Thessalonica Christian Fellowship were no exceptions, okay? Because what I see here is that this passage on sexual purity is surrounded with brotherly love. Notice chapter 3, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And then we read the passage on sexual purity. And then verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. 
But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren. He said, you guys are above board. I bless you. I see the love of God working in your life and through your life and pouring out of your life. But he goes on to say, you still need to grow in that. What does he say? But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that's why I say... These brothers, even as much as Paul gloated over them as it were, they were not exempt from the need to grow in this. Brothers, sexual purity indicates our love for God and others. It does. You see, when we indulge in sexual immorality, whether it be through our eyes, through our thoughts, through our actions, we are defrauding our brother. We are defrauding another man. We are trying to take advantage of someone in order to fulfill our own selfish desires. That woman is not ours to have. That woman is someone's wife. That woman is some father's daughter. That woman is some grandmother's granddaughter. She is not ours to have. And when we indulge in lustful thinking, when we go down that path, we are taking advantage of something, someone that is not ours to have. We are defrauding our brother, the scripture says. We are trying to take possession of something that is not ours. For example, how would you feel if you found out that some other man, or God forbid, a brother in the church, was having lustful thoughts about your wife or about your daughter? Or about your girlfriend, some of you young fellows. How would you, you, want, you want me to tell you? You would be outraged. You would be very upset. You would say, what are you doing? How can you do this to me? Where is the respect? Where is the love? Don't you care about me? You see, that helps us see it more clearly. And so sexual purity indicates our love and respect for others, not to mention our dear wife. But it's so much more than that, brothers. Sexual purity indicates our sincere love for God. Verse 8 brings that clear. You see, by obedience to this command, we show that we love Him. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. But along with that, He's even given us His Holy Spirit. The one that guides us into all truth. God has not just left us to fight these battles alone. Help yourself, I hope you do well. No, He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us our conscience that says, don't. That is that window of escape that we read about in 1 Corinthians 10. That's the window of escape. Take it. We are not left to fight these battles alone. So when we wander down that dark path of sexual immorality, we are not only taking advantage of another, but we are showing great disrespect to our loving Heavenly Father. Closing verses. Turn the page to chapter 5. Sacrificial service, loving leadership, passionate purity. I say they're expressions of godly. Chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Brothers, sometimes we use that verse out of context. It's, it's planted firmly here in this idea of that God will keep us unto the end. God will keep us. He will preserve us. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. He is the source of power behind our ability to stand, to truly love as God loves. And I end with this verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. When it comes to expressing God's love, we don't have what it takes to do that. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's the demonstration. That's the declaration. And, and here we see that he's given us his Holy Spirit to preserve us blameless to the end. But we need the prayer and support of each other. We need accountability. We need brotherhood. And that's one of the things that I find so powerful about an event such as this. It binds us together in a way that we don't experience as much just in our, our circles. May God help us to cling together under the banner of truth to support one another, to love one another. And may God's love be central in all of that. God bless you.